All right, saints, if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 4. So when I finished teaching a couple of Wednesdays ago, we finished through this chapter and Tim very graciously and wonderfully just kind of led us back to this chapter. But I want to focus on one aspect of this portion of scripture here this morning. I want to focus on, on verse 48, but I want to just read it in its context. So if any of you weren't here on Wednesday, you'll at least understand the flow of what we're looking at. So in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 46, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he'd heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Verse 49, The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Verse 52, when he inquired of them the hour when he got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. As we're looking at this second sign that Jesus did, I want to focus on verse 48, where Jesus makes this statement, unless you people see signs and wonders you will by no means believe. Unless you have things that are just shown you in your face. Now, I know what you're saying. Lowell, isn't that old adage, seeing is believing? And it's true on the secular side. But this is not what, what faith is. Now, I want you to understand that when this nobleman comes to the Lord and, and he implores God, and I think it's so important that, that when you understand he's coming to Jesus and he's imploring him in verse 47. It says, he went to him, that is Jesus, and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. I think it's important that when you look to what this nobleman is thinking, sometimes we have a similar mindset. In other words, it's this. That God is limited to our understanding. He's limited to our resources and he's limited to our abilities. Now understand, now Jesus did not have to go to Capernaum to heal the kid's son. Do you understand? This nobleman says, you've got to come. I don't have to go. I know what authority is. So understand that already he's, his mindset is limited 
And this is what happens so often when it comes to us looking to the Lord and believing in his promises that we in our own mind can't see it happening. How is this going to work? How is this going to happen? How do I get Jesus to come here and show up? How do I get Jesus to perform the miracle? And all of a sudden, he thinks that Jesus has to go to Capernaum to heal the boy. And this is why he's saying, hey, you've got to come. <laughs> you've got to come to where my son's at. And the other thing is this. You actually think that death is going to limit Jesus and what he's able to do. You have to understand that death is not going to be a problem for Jesus. I mean, look at Lazarus. Lazarus died. He was in the tomb for four days. And what did the Lord do? Lazarus, come forth. You understand how we so often limit God in, in our belief to think, I, I think you're God. I think you can do this, but I'm limited because of my own limitations. I place my limitations on God. And so keep in mind that I think it's so important that what happens is this, that we don't put our limitations on God. When you implore God, just realize there's nothing off the table. We're, we're getting God to me is not off the table. His authority reaches from heaven to here. Like this centurion said, I know what authority is. I say to this man, go, he goes. I said, another man comes, he comes. I don't have to be in that place where I tell that man to come to me. Once he hears the word, wherever he's at, guess what's going to happen? He's going to come. That's what authority does. And Jesus recognizes, and this is what he's showing is this third or the second sign, what authority really means. That authority is not limited by distance. Authority is not limited by difficulties. So God doesn't have to be in Capernaum to do the miracle. And if the kid dies, it still doesn't limit God doing a miracle. So put that first and foremost there in your notes. And so keep in mind here that death isn't the victory of the enemy. Because Jesus can say, listen, I can do all kinds of work. And so often we have this tendency of thinking, boy, it's too far gone. It's too far gone. It's death. And, and I want you to understand that, that it, for us, we do not have to limit God by the resources that are at our, that are at, at, at our own hand. So put it this way. Some people, when they're having marital difficulties and they are getting to the point of divorce, do you think divorce is the end? Do you understand? That's not the end. That, that isn't, you know, God's not worried about that. It's like this is, this is a process. Don't, don't think that that is an end. Don't think that because the doctor gives you bad news that that's the end. Do you understand? Death is not the end. And so what happens is this. There's, when we find ourselves limited, when we find ourselves struggling. How many times have you thought when you have a point of weakness and you return to sin thinking, I will never have victory over this? Do you understand? Returning to sin is not the end. It does not mean that sin will not be conquered. It is what? It is a page in the book, it is a chapter in the book. But you know what? We've talked about this before. We can trust how the book is going to end why? Because we know the author and the finisher of our faith. This is that heart that we begin to see. Now, 
The word that he uses here in verse 48 where he says, unless you see people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. That term believe, it comes from the root of a Greek word that is faith. Now, the, what happens is this. The, the Greek word for faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-U-S. And so it, it's, it's simply pistis or P-I-S-T-I-S, depending on how you want to say it. But it simply means a moral conviction. It means assurance. Now, what belief is, is this. It's a little different. The, the, the word in the Greek is pistuo. And what that means is this. Because it's the same root of faith, it means this. To have faith. Not just faith itself. Belief is to have faith. To hold on to faith. It's trusting in that assurance. It's not just I have assurance, but I actually trust in it. I know it. I I develop it and I keep it. So what we realize is this, is that John here in his gospel, he uses the word believe 98 times, 98 times in his gospel, he uses the word believe. You know how many times he uses the word faith? Zero, nada, zip, zilch. He doesn't use the word faith once, but 98 times he uses the word believe. So he doesn't just talk about the assurance. He says this, you trust that assurance. And so when it comes to that, keep in mind that this is what John is trying to teach us. It's simply saying, not just simply say faith, but I have faith. I'm trusting in that assurance. And so as we look to this, I want you to understand that John, as we noted here, uses that term faith 98 times. The very first time that he uses it found in John chapter 1, verse 7, where it it makes this statement, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That we would trust in that light. We would trust in that word. And this is where John is trying to teach us. And the last time he uses in his gospel, found in John chapter 21, or John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It's actually verse 31, but it's, John says this. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the heart that here we begin to see that John is wanting us to grasp. And so when we see that term believe, it's the actuation of faith. It's the understanding of faith. And so now when we come and read verse 48, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, this man amps up the game. He changes it a little bit. Now, initially, what he does is this. He lets him know in verse 47 that his son, he asked him to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. I want you to heal my son. Well, Jesus makes that statement, unless you see signs and wonders, 
you will by no means believe. And now in verse 49, the nobleman says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. See, first he says, he's my son. And now he's saying, he's just a little boy. Do you understand? He's trying to just amp it up. He said, you, you can maybe allow my son to die, but not a little boy. And I love the heart that what Jesus does. He says, listen, I want you to understand. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. Your son lives. And then this is what we see. It says this in, in verse 50. After Jesus says, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke. He didn't have to see the signs and wonders. He simply heard the words, believed the words, and then recognized what? Jesus, apparently, you don't need to be there. And apparently, death isn't an issue. I've limited you. I'm simply going to believe what you declare, what you're able to do outside of my understanding. And if you say it, I'm going to believe it. This is incredible. Now, I want you to see here that as the man starts with a crisis of faith, he now comes to a confidence in this faith where he believes. His crisis is, oh my goodness, Lord, what's going to happen? you got to heal my son. Jesus said, your son's fine. He says, okay, fine, he's, he's good. Now, you have to understand how fine this man actually believes. There's a point in this passage where a lot of times we just sort of look over it, but it's important to gravitate to. I want you to see in verse 52, very quickly, one aspect of what's being said. It says, as he was now going back to his home, a servant was now coming to meet him, but it said in verse 52, then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour. Now, we've already talked about how Jesus met the woman at the well there on the sixth hour. He met her at noon. So understand that Jesus tells this man at one o'clock in the afternoon, the seventh hour. He says, your son's well. Now, this man could have instantly left at 1 o'clock because it takes about four hours to get from Canaan to Capernaum. It's about a 20-mile trek. It'd take about four hours. So he could have literally left at 1 and got there at 5 to determine, is my son okay? But you have to understand that he doesn't even leave. He doesn't leave Cana. He just simply takes care of business. He hangs around until the next day. You understand? And then when he does meet his servant who's coming to him, he's coming to meet his servant. He goes, oh, when did he get better? And he said this in verse 52, yesterday at the seventh hour. Yesterday at one o'clock. And then we thought today, we better come and let you know that your son's okay. But I love the heart that here, this man so believed, so trusted in this assurance of the word of Jesus Christ, he doesn't even leave to go check up on his son. I mean, he loves his son. He's praying for his son. But you say, your son's fine. Great. Let me take care of business. <laughs> and then tomorrow, I'll go home once my business is finished. But then this is the key. And I love verse 53. It says, so the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. Now notice what happens. 
you see this crisis of faith coming to a confidence of faith, now coming to this proclamation of faith, the communication of faith, and it says this, he himself believed and his whole household. You understand that not only does he now recognize Jesus is God, Jesus has power over life and death, but his whole family now believes in Christ. His whole household believes in Christ. And many scholars believe that it's not only those that are of his blood, but those that are of his servants as well. I could go with either or. I love the fact that when he believed, his next thing is this, I need to tell you of the one who has power over life and death. I want to tell you of this God who came to earth and is able to redeem. And it's important to let the communication be a, heart of, a part of who you are. That you're so overwhelmed by the joy and the goodness of God that he's bestowed upon you that you want to just share it with everybody else. I need to tell you. I need to tell you. And this is what this nobleman does. He doesn't just keep it into his own heart. He's so overwhelmed by what Christ has done in his life. And with his faith, it says he himself believed. He took action to this faith. He had Literally, he had this assurance, but he now acts on that insurance. He's trusting in that insure, assurance. So when we look to this word belief, the Nelson Bible Dictionary, it's a good tool if you don't have one, if you don't own one, just, you know, ask for one for Christmas, ask for one for your birthday or Mother's Day or Father's Day or, or All Saints Day or, or for Monday, just ask for one, get one. Because what the Bible Dictionary does is this, is that puts a biblical perspective to these words that you're looking at. So you can go to the Nelsons, you can look up, you know, just what is belief. And, and so it defines this, this belief as a confident attitude towards God involving a commitment to his will for one's life. It's in other words, it's, it's I am committed to whatever your will is for my life. There's an action that takes place. And so belief is to place one's trust in God's truth. A person who believes is the one who takes God's word. He trusts in God for salvation and then for every aspect of his life. It's like, here's my life. It's in your hand. And I think this term belief is so important to recognize it's it's literally not just knowing, but it's acting on that assurance of what you know. In other words, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe, see, whoever acts on this assurance, the knowledge that God gave, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a portion of scripture I would actually like you to turn to because we're going to hang out there for just a second and when it comes to faith, when it comes to belief, I think there's no greater passage in all the scripture than the great hall of faith itself, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And so as Hebrews 11 is known as the great hall of faith, there's something important that I want you to see that deals with this faith. And of course, it transfers into this area of belief. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning, or chapter 11, beginning in verse 6, 
the author of Hebrews makes this declaration. It says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe. Do you understand that? We look to this hall of faith, but everything that he begins to talk about now is he who comes to God must believe. Act on that assurance. You believe this is God. You know it's his word, but you have to act on it. You must believe, this is what it says, that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him who pursue after him for what is next and what is next and what is next. So my thought was initially, as I normally did, I was going to go into the Old Testament and find some beautiful examples of belief. And then as I was looking to this, I thought, why do I want to pick and choose? Because the author of Hebrews has already gone into the Old Testament and already did the cream of the crop. He's already done the work for me. So rather than having you turn into the Old Testament, you can just put down these notes. And I think it's so important to recognize here what it is that belief is. Take a look at Hebrews 11 verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Do you understand what he did? He did something. He offered a sacrifice to God. And he did it by faith. But I think it's important that we see here that it was a work that he did. One, here's God's word. I know your word, but I'm going to act on that word. We also see that in verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see God and was not found because God had taken him. For he was take, But before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You understand? And what was his work? He'd just hang out with God. That was his job. God was there. I'm hanging out with you. Well, what do I what more do I have to do? Nothing. You came to say hi. I'm just hanging out with you. Do you understand? But it's still a work. It's still something I'm going to just choose to do this. I can do all kinds of other things. I'm choosing you, Lord. I'm choosing to hang out with you. Then we see in verse 7, by faith, notice what Noah does. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear. You understand, it's an action that he does. He had faith, but he believed. And this is what Noah does. He's moved with godly fear. He begins to build the ark. And this is why it's so important to understand that faith isn't just acknowledging a truth. But what faith is, is this. You have to move that faith to believe that you now act on the acknowledgement of the truth. I believe it, so I'm going to do it. I believe it, so I'm going to walk forward in it. This is where the belief comes in, and I think why it's so important that John never uses the word faith, but he always uses that term belief, acting on what you know to be true. We also see in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, it says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place where he would receive the inheritance. And what did Abraham do? He just traveled. He left one place, went to another, but that was obedience. 
Do you understand? He believed God's word where God says, this is where you're going to receive a blessing. So what does he do? He moves to where the blessing is. Now, how often do we as Christians, when God says in his word, hey, listen, if you leave the sin here and you walk over in obedience here, there's a bunch of blessings. And you're like, why am I getting a blessing? Because you're still staying here. You understand? you got to move to where the blessings are. This is where the word of God is. It's like a treasure map. It's where it marks the X. You do this. You come to this place in your life and your obedience, your trust, and blessings are flowing here. In other words, it's a waterfall. It's constantly being poured out, constantly being poured. But you got to get to where the waterfall is. And that's what his word does. He expresses where this life is poured out. The blessings are poured out. And this is what Abraham does. He just simply obeys. He believes the word of God. He hears the word of God, but then he acts on that word and he obeys it. Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11, it declares this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises ordered up his only begotten son. He literally would take his son and crucify him. He'd bring him up to the mountain where God showed him. He'd put him there upon the altar. He would raise the knife. And he would have plunged it had God said, don't do it. Stay your hand, Abraham. I now know that you won't withhold anything from me, even your own son. Now, he knew, Abraham knew that God said, hey, through Isaac, your seed's going to be there. So he says, if I kill him, you got to raise him up. This is your problem, God, not mine. You're the one who's promised everything will come through him. So I, I can take him out. But at the same time, you've got to bring him back. And God says, don't worry about it. I told you to stay your hand. I won't stay my hand. You won't have to sacrifice your son, but I will fully sacrifice mine. And I think it's important to see here, this is what faith is all about. It's, it's the one to say, yes, I, I am assured of your word, but belief is now acting on that assurance. It's trusting in that assurance. It's trusting in that word. In verse 23, it makes a statement, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and were not afraid of the king's command. Literally, his parents said what? They acted on assurance. They believed God's word. They said, hey, you don't have to be afraid of the king. Just, just hold on to this kid. So he held on it for three months. And then he did what? Now I want you to do what the king commanded him. Put him in the Nile. Not just throw him in there. We'll put him in a basket. And we're going to literally turn the will of the king of Egypt so it, he spins around on his ears. He's going to say, I want the kids in the Nile. He says, I'll put the kid in the Nile. God says, go ahead, put him in an ark, set him down. And that's going to put him what? It's going to put him right there in Pharaoh's house. And so we begin to see here, but it is the parents acted on a truth. We also see in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. That he left a place of prestige and came to a place of humility. Sound like someone you know? Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider Robert to be equal with God. He, made, he humbled himself. 
became a servant. And this is what Moses does as a type. And so it's so important to see that he actually does an action. Drop down to verse 33 of Hebrews 11, and I want you to hear what these people did. And I want to quote what they did. It was an action. They say, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of aliens. You understand? Everyone's action, action, action. This is belief. So I want you to grab a hold of really what it is that John is talking about when it comes to this man's belief and how this belief translates into, I don't even have to go home. I know it's done. I don't have to be there to witness it. I know that when God says it's now, it's already a done deal. I don't have to wait and see, is it really going to happen? That's not what belief is. Belief is, you've already said it, it is going to happen. And I don't see it today, guess what? I'm going to see it tomorrow, I'm going to see it the next day. I know when you choose to reveal it to me, it's going to happen. And I don't have to wait for it, I don't have to, I have to fight for it. I just know that it's going to happen according to your will. And in your perfect will, I'm going to rejoice in it, and in your perfect will, I'm going to trust in it. And so we begin to see here that this is how that heart of God is spoken. Now, James says it in a unique way. In James chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, let me read it to you. It says this, you believe, you understand, you believe that there is one God. He said, you do well, but he says this, even demons believe. Now, that's a scary thing. He says, you believe, demons can even believe, and guess what? In their belief, they tremble. So understand, their belief brings about an action. They believe that Jesus is God, and they know that they're going to be judged. Remember when Jesus came, hey, are you here to make us suffer before our time? Is that what you're here to do? No, 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 you're going to suffer in your time. I'll, I'll let you do that. You are going to suffer. They know, they believe, they tremble. But he says this about us. Do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? See, he talks about this faith, but then it has to be belief. Belief is now works, trusting in that assurance and, and understanding that assurance. He talks about this beautiful thing that faith without works is dead. And I think that what we begin to happen is this, when we fully begin to put our trust in God, that we're going to say, God, you said it, I believe it. And I don't have to go beyond that. I don't have to go get evidences of this. So when God speaks to you that he's given you the power over sin, if you don't see it now, guess what? He's still spoken to you. It's still going to happen. And as soon as you believe, then guess what? You're going to have power over that sin. It's like, guess what? That sin's gone. It's already left. Just like the, 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 the sickness, the death, and that son's already left. I know that it is by faith that there's victory. Now, there comes a point sometimes where we have this vacillation in our belief, vacillation in our faith. There's a passage I want you to be aware of. Jot it down. Found in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 23 and verse 24, 
Jesus makes a statement to this man. He says, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So after the transfiguration, this man has this demon-possessed son. The Lord makes this statement to him, if you believe. Same thing that he said. You guys want to see signs and wonders. If I don't show you signs and wonders, you'll not believe. But he tells this man, if you believe... All things are possible to him who believes. Do you realize everything is possible? He doesn't limit it. He says most things, some things. That's not what he says. He says all things. Now, in the Greek, the word all is unique. It means all. It doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean most. It really means all. He says all things. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately, the father, the child, child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. And then he says this, help my unbelief. <laughs> now, I don't know how that works. I believe, but help where it doesn't quite line up to what it needs to be. I have some belief. I have some trust. But I want to have fully everything that you want from me. Give me your spirit. Give me this trust. And that's where this term belief begins to flow and begins to fall in. Jesus makes this beautiful statement. We'll get there eventually in the gospel of John, but I want to read you one portion here this morning so you fully understand what I'm trying to discuss about this term belief. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, I'm going to read down to verse 14. Jesus says this, most assuredly I say to you that he who believes in me, same term, and the works that I do, he will do also. Do you understand? If you believe in me, the works that I do, he makes a statement, you're going to do them also. It's incredible. And then he says this, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What do you mean? The things that you do, I can do, and greater things? Yep, because you're going to the Father. He says, and whatever we ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Incredible. So we begin to see here what this aspect of belief is, that he says, listen, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you're going to do these works, and you're going to do even greater works. Why? Because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you're going to so believe in this word that there's going to be nothing that you're going to limit God and his word to. Not, I can't see how he's going to do it. That's okay. You don't have to see how he's going to do it. He's not limited by your understanding. He's not limited by your knowledge. He's not limited by your limitations. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, well, I'm divorced now. What can I do? Who cares if you're divorced? Keep praying. Do you think that that's the end? Do you think that God is done with you? And so just, just by faith, stand on what it is. But the doctor gave me news. Who cares that he gave you news? Stand on what God says. And it's so important to recognize this. Now, notice, I'm not trying to say just, just, just claim it and, 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 and grab it, whatever you think. But you trust in God and say, listen, I know the path that you have for me. And if the path you have for me is healing, I'm going to be healed. 
I trust you that I will be healed because you and your word have declared it. So as we begin to look at this, I think it's so important that what we begin to see is this. God in his word declares nothing is off the table. You understand? The things that I do, you will do, and greater than these. Because I go to the Father, you'll have the Spirit. Do you understand? That's what's on the table. Greater works than these. That's on the table for all of us. And yet what happens is this. We go, really? Can it be? Lola, I think you're exaggerating what the heart of God is. I think you're exaggerating what he's actually declaring. What I'm trying to tell you is this, that if you can't believe that, what happens is this, we're stuck. Like Jesus said here in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Show me an evidence, God. Give me some kind of proof. <laughs> really? I've already given you all the proof that you need. I've spoken it. I've spoken this truth that says, the works that I do, you will do too, and greater works than these. It's amazing, and I love the fact that when we pray for people, that many times God just brings a healing. And it's God who does it. It's not our prayer. We prayed for people and they've gotten sicker. But I love it when God says, you, you're going to pray, and there's been certain times, and I can only count them on just, just a few fingers, that I have been called to pray for someone, and I've known that I've known that I know that they're going to be healed. And when that happens, oh, I'll tell you what, it is just a prayer of just joy and faith, because God says, I've already healed this person. All you're going to do is just, just, just go through these words. It's already done. And you're praying this joy. You're praying this assurance. And so when you pray that prayer that he's already told you it's going to happen, you don't even fret about it. You don't even say, do I have to say in Jesus' name? Do I have to say something in particular? No, you just, you just it's already done. No matter what I say, I can't botch the prayer. It's already accomplished, Lord greater things than these because you went to the Father, because you died for our sins, you took the curse, you went to the tree, you were buried in the tomb for three days, you rose again. I am absolutely assured of this, but we need to do what? I need to see a different proof. I need to see new evidences. Do I can simply believe your word? And we're always looking for, but show me this now, prove to me here. We're kind of like Gideon. Remember what Gideon did? He said, okay, Lord, if it's you, I'm going to put this fleece on the ground. So what's going to happen is this. If the fleece is wet, the ground is dry, no, it's you. And he said, oh, wait a second. You did it, but now we're going to change this around. Okay, if, if, the, if the ground is wet, the fleece is dry, then I'm going to know it's you. I'm surprised he didn't say, okay, make half the, half the ground wet, half the fleece wet, split it in half, do the part on the ground that's wet, make that dry, the part on the dry ground, make that, and I can know. Make it in plaids, make it in circles. How do you need it? What proof do you need? But Gideon needed more and more, and Jesus says, I've already given you the proof. Do you believe? And I, I love this because there's so many times that we're praying for friends. We're praying for family. And we're wondering, God, are you going to get through? And you know what he says? My word 
the word that you are believing in, the word that you are trusting in, my word will not return void, but it's going to go forth and it's going to purpose that for which I've purposed it to do. It's going to bear fruit because it's my word, my power, not yours. You're just believing that I have authority to speak this into someone's life, that I will bring light and illumination to their minds and to their hearts and to their lives, that I will bring salvation to the lost. This is God and his word. He just said, you don't have to have evidences that I'm going to save them. Just simply read my word, believe my word, and you don't even have to be alive. It's amazing. Do you understand that the prophet Jeremiah, called the weeping prophet for a reason, there was not one convert in the entire book of Jeremiah. Not one. The entire time that he was writing, he didn't speak of one convert. But do you want to know something? I know three people, three people that have actually come to know the Lord, that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through reading the book of Jeremiah. So although he didn't have a convert when he was there, he has many converts now. It's because the word is still living. It's powerful. It's sharper than 20 years short. And it's going to go forth. It's going to purpose that which God purposes to do. And so I want you to see here that so often we have this thing of, I need proof, Lord. I need proof. What needs to happen in your life for you to believe that God is good? Really, what has to happen? What do you need to say, God, I, I, I know you, you, you say you're good, but unless this happens in my life, can I really believe that you're good? Do you understand? I, I love the, the, the song that we sang where he trusts God when all things were good, but then he also trusts God when what? When the paths were rough. See, it's one thing to say you're only good if the path is good, but I know you're good when even the path is troubled. When, when, when sometimes it's the road of suffering that it, it comes to the glory like Jesus Christ. And so I think it's important to realize here that what has to happen in your life, what evidence is for you to believe that God is good? What evidences have to happen in your life for you to believe that God's plan for you is perfect? If this chapter that you're living in today isn't the perfect chapter, are you saying, God, the plan for you that you have for my life isn't perfect? It's flawed it, because it couldn't have a bad chapter. It can't have suffering. It can't have tribulation. It can't have issues. Guess what? It can. And it's still what? I know the thoughts that you think towards me. God knows the thoughts. He thinks they're good, not of evil, to give us a future and a hope, the promise of, of eternal life with him. And I think it's so important. What has to happen in your life for you to believe that God is good, that his plan for you is perfect? There's two verses I want to give to you for those of us that are looking for signs. The first is found in Matthew chapter 16. I want to read the first four verses to you. But it simply makes this statement. Jesus will declare, after verse 1 where it says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Show me a sign. Give me a wonder. Do something amazing, Lord, so that I can put faith in this. 
It's amazing. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it'll be fair for the weather and the sky is red. In the morning, it'll be foul for the weather, foul weather today for the sky is red and is threatening. Hypocrites. He says, you know, red sky at night, sailors are light. Red sky in warnings, sailors take warning, you know. But he says, you, you, can, you can discern the weather. You can look to those signs and you can understand what's happening. But, but he says this, hypocrites, verse 3. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You're looking to say, wow, what's going on? What's going on? Well, let me tell you what, what time we're in. The time is short where Jesus says, I'm going to come for my church. That's what time we're in. And, and until he comes, we're supposed to occupy till he comes. We're supposed to be faithful stewards of what he's given us to do. But he says, listen, you can't even decide the times of the time. Then he says this in verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. He says, you guys are just evil. You're wicked. You seek after a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. He said, listen, you're not going to have any sign except one, the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He makes this declaration as this is the sign, the death and the resurrection. The resurrection is the sign, and that's the only sign you're going to get. Death, burial, resurrection. And, and I think it's important that we're all looking for these signs. He says, Guess what? Every one of us know the sign. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. And this is that beautiful thing of, of what we do through that act of baptism, the thing that we get to celebrate next Sunday, that we say, Lord, I know, and I want the world to know that I am your disciple. And I'm choosing to let the world know that I'm your disciple. That what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to tell the whole world as I go under the water that I was buried with you in your death. And when I come out of the water that I was risen with you, that I have new life in you and I want to make this proclamation to the world. And this is why we're going to go down to the, the pond and we're going to go and we're going to baptize those who say, I am professing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is my testimony, my obedience as your child, Lord. And I've told you before, it's one of the things that I struggled with. I struggled with, as a young boy, I was baptized by my uncle who was a Methodist minister. That had to count for something. And I fought God for years, years, when they said, the baptism's coming up. Now, I've been baptized. I, I, I don't know what it was. I didn't want to say that, that the baptism didn't count. I want to say that it was the baptism. But you know what? It wasn't my obedience. It was my parents. And they, they wanted me to say, I'm God's. But guess what? I couldn't say that as a baby. Now, they said, I want you to be God's, and that's nice. But what baptism is, is this. It's a public declaration that I'm making to the world that I belong to Jesus Christ, that I was buried with him, that I've risen with him in new life. And this is why we celebrate this Sunday coming up, this baptism, because of all these children of God. 
walking in obedience to the command that he gave to every one of us. He says, one, he says I want you to believe. Believe in me. That's it. That's, that's your eternal life. But then the first command that he gives us as his children, when we say, I'm walking in obedience, is this. I want you to be baptized. I want you to show the world that, that you died with me. I want you to show the world that you've risen to this new life. Tell the world that you are my child and that you are walking in this baptism. And so we see here, and I love what here the, the Lord is showing. He says, now, there's going to be no sign except that. And this is the sign that we declare when we're baptizing. I'm declaring to you the one sign that Jesus said is going to be the sign. Death, burial, and resurrection. This is what I'm declaring and so we see here that we die with Christ. We're buried with him under the water. We raise to this new life. This is the sign. He says, there's no other signs that need to be given. So do you understand that every time someone is baptized, they're declaring the one sign that Jesus says is for the hypocrites. The one sign that is for this wicked generation. And we're able to walk through that and declare that openly, publicly to the world as we go out to the pond in public. Now, there's one other passage that I want you to be aware of found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 makes this statement. And I want to just read it to you. It says this, For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And verse 23 says, but we preach Christ crucified. Do you understand? I want a sign. Jesus on the cross. I want wisdom. Jesus on the cross. It's our answer to everything. Jesus, he died so that we would have life. And I think it's important to recognize here what belief is. Now I'm going to show you just in two passages that show probably the greatest difference in understanding of belief and wanting signs. Let, let, me, let me tell you the two passages. The first is found in Mark chapter 15. The second one is found in Luke 23. But in Mark 15, let me begin to read to you. I want to read verses 24 through 33. Mark 15, beginning in verse 24, makes this declaration. When they had crucified him, that's Jesus, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. And now it is the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. And with him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. And so the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you destroy the temple and build it in three days. Then they say this, verse 30, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking said among themselves with the scribes that he saved others himself. He cannot save 
verse 32, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Do you understand? Show me a sign. You want me to believe? Come on down from that cross. You saved others. Himself you cannot save. Now keep in mind, if he would have saved himself, he could not save us. He chose. He chose. And as we see this, I think it's so important that they, they make that statement. That's such a declaration. Again in verse 32, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified reviled him. So the two thieves on the cross, they also mocked. The two thieves, one on the right, one on the left, added to the mockery that was there of the chief priests and the scribes. Saying, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign. So verse 32 at the end, even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Talks about the three hours of darkness. So I want you to see that even in the Lord's death, there were what? People wanting to see a sign and a wonder. Come on down from there. Do something amazing. One other passage I want to read to you found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And this is where you're going to see true belief happens. In Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 33. Let me begin by reading that. It says this, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And when they divided his, and they divided his garments and they cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him. And offered him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. As, as Mark said, come on down, save yourself, do something, show us a sign. And verse 37, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38, and the inscription also was written over him in letters in Greek, in Latin, in Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then the one of the criminals, notice this, one of the criminals, not, not two, but one, one of the criminals, and this is so important, verse 39, who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. This is amazing. Don't just save yourself, but hey, get me down. I'll follow you. I'll do that. Just, just, just save me now. Now verse 40 is where the real key comes in. But the other answered, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to grasp a hold of something. We were blessed this morning as, as, as Tim was stealing my material for the first service. 
and, and was, was quoting this passage that I was going to save for the last because you save the best for last. And he said, well, I'm just going to, you know, just the Holy Spirit gave it to me, so you're going to have to live with it. I said it first, and, and so, yes, he did. <clears throat> but Tim said something different. He said something unique that I didn't have in my notes. And so I'm stealing it from him because he got it from God, and, and, and so I did. But understand that this, this man on, on the cross, he saw a man who was in worse shape than he was. Do you understand? He didn't see God in his glory. He saw a man who was beaten so that he couldn't even be recognized. He saw a man who was mocked, but this man who was in worse shape than he was and in the same place as he was, nailed to the cross, he still had faith. Do you understand? He believed that although this man was in worse shape than he was, mocked and ridiculed and was there in the same state as he was, he still had the unction to say when they said, if you're the Christ, if you're the Christ, he goes, if he's the Christ, if he's the Christ, and he says to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Incredible how he puts his faith not in this glowing God who does signs and wonders, but a man who was despised and rejected, beaten and crucified along with him. He said this, my circumstances doesn't have to change here. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Do you know what that faith means? It says, you don't have to change my life here. You're going to change my eternity. And I love it. He believes his present circumstances will not change, but he knows his eternal circumstance was. Now, that was in my notes, not Tim's. I just want you to know that, just in case you were wondering. And it's so important to, to recognize this truth that Jesus has already given you all the proof that you need. His death on the cross for your sins. He's given you the Holy Spirit for your sanctification. And, and so when we come to this, this is the second sign. This is so that you can believe, so that I can believe. And it's so important to see that his first sign was what? There at Canaan, there turning the water into wine. Said, I have power over the physical. And it was the request of a mother to Jesus to say, could you change the circumstances? And, and guess what? Jesus did it in secret where nobody knew but what? The mother, his disciples, and the servants. And now the second sign, a father comes and says, can you change the circumstances? First a mother comes, then a father comes. And the father says, can you change the circumstances? And Jesus does so again. Shows his authority, but he does it in secret so that the only people who know is what? The father, the disciples, and servants. Why do all the servants get in on the things? It's amazing to see that God chooses the lowly. He chooses the humble. He chooses servants to, to go. And so you have to understand that, that when you have a point of crisis, how is this going to change? When is it going to change? How are you going to do this, Lord? I know you can. What are you going to do? Believe his word. That's all you have to do is believe his word. And know this, that his spirit has been moving. His spirit has been talking. And his word will not return void. And people will walk 
in the same belief and the same assurance of faith acting on it that you are as you're praying these things through. So when you have a crisis of faith, turn it into confidence in his word. And then when you have the confidence in his word, then what? Communicate that confidence to anyone who's there so that not only you, but your whole household, your neighborhood, your city can be saved. This is the beauty of the word of God. And I love the heart that he's talking about these things just prior to us making this declaration to our community as we go forth next week publicly baptizing those who have asked Jesus Christ into their own heart as their Lord and Savior. And they're taking and they're walking in this obedience as a child of God, those that have received him personally. We get to make this proclamation, and it's a glorious proclamation to make. We are declaring the one sign that Jesus did, death, burial, resurrection. Oh, let's go forth and declare these truths that we first believe them ourselves and then pronounce the belief that we have to anyone who would listen. Amen? Amen. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for this, your heart, your word, how good you are, Lord. Lord, take this word and let it become a part of who we are that we would not be those people who need to see signs and wonders, who need to see evidences that maybe, just maybe you can do this. But let's stand on the fullness of your word, that we will do all things that you can do and more greater things also because you've gone to the Father and we are your children and we want to do what you did, Lord. We want to do the Father's will. We don't want you to do our will. We want to do the Father's will, and we know that we can accomplish the Father's will as we submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As you guide us, as you lead us, we know that nothing is impossible. So when we step out on our own and we ask you to join us, that that's where the problems come in. But when we follow your will as your son did, he could do great things because you already commanded that they would be done. We can do great things because you will already command to us that these things are done. What we speak here on earth, you've already spoken it in heaven. And we just follow your will, follow your, your ways. And so build us in our belief, Lord, not just our faith, but our belief. And for anyone, we're going to say, we believe, Lord. <laughs> and then we're also going to add, help our unbelief. Fill in the gaps where we're weak. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.